Hey, Skytown, just want to give you a quick note at the top of the podcast. The news about Alicia Gray being traded to the Atlanta Dream, which was first reported by M.A. Vopel at ESPN, we that came after we had talked. It came like 90 minutes after we had recorded our podcast. So we don't touch on it in here, along with the news that just came out from Howard Megdahl that Courtney Vandersloot and Azrae Stevens are both connected to the Minnesota Lynx. They're just among the suitors is what Howard said. And we didn't get a chance to talk about that as well, but that does that won't stop the rest of the conversation from being relevant. We get into a lot here, and it was a great discussion with Chris. But just want to note that at the top of the show, so let's get to it. What's up, Chi-Town? Welcome once again to the world-famous Skyhook Podcast. I am your host, Chris Pennant, a.k.a. Jake Stanley, Jumping Spider, the worldwide web slinger, <laughs> here with... The originator, the founder, often imitated and impossible to be duplicated, James K. Big James, man. It's been a lot of information all at once in the WNBA offseason. How are you feeling about it? Well, Chris, considering I've got like eight hours of sleep with me in the last two, three days, it's just, uh, it's that time of year. It's kind of exciting, honestly. It keeps you on your toes. I remember Sunday night thinking I was done for the night. Then I get this... Twitter notification from Rachel Galligan of Just Women Sports and Windsider, who reveals that there was a blockbuster going down in New York. And it all just kind of clicked from there. And now we're here. I don't even remember what's happened since then, but we're here right <laughs> now. We're about, about to talk about a few things. And I'm excited, but it's been a whirlwind, man. How about you? <laughs> For sure, man. I feel the same way because this is... The, the big trade has far-reaching implications, not for, just for the three teams involved, and three-team tra- trades are, are fairly rare in any sports discipline, but this could affect four or five or even six teams across the WNBA, and when you're talking, when you're saying that, that's half of the league. So it's big time. It's big time what's happening, even if it's mainly concentrated in the Northeast. So... I say let's get into it because we want to make sure that we are giving you enough time to digest this without taking up two hours of your afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, wouldn't be the first time we did that, though, but (laughs) it's true. (laughs) But hey, man, let's break down this trade that happened on Sunday, because this is something that set a ripple effect throughout the rest of the league. And it really does change the way that free agency is going to look moving forward. So Break down that trade, Chris. What do we have? All right. In the three-team deal between New York, Dallas, and Connecticut, the Liberty get the 2021 MVP, Jonquil Jones, and a very nice addition in Kayla Thornton. Connecticut picks up the number six pick in this year's draft from New York and Rebecca Allen, and then they get Tayasha Harris from Dallas, and the Wings get Natasha Howard and the rights to Crystal Dangerfield. So... Wanted to outline everything just so everybody can can digest it. The obvious big piece there is John Quill Jones going to New York. Uh, she had requested to go to New York in any kind of deal. But I think, uh, you know, you can't underestimate that. I'll say that just right off the start before we, we get into a full discussion. John Quill Jones going to the New York Liberty makes them a finals contender. I think off the bat with what they have on board already, uh, with Sabrina Ionescu and Benaya Jelani, and bringing in Kayla Thornton, a very rugged defender who had her best offensive season, I think, of her career last year, 
uh, in terms of shooting percentages, except for free throw average. Big time deal for New York and reinforces the idea that Josiah is really trying to make the Liberty something big again. Couldn't agree more, man. I mean, that's to me, I just think about how important it was for the Liberty to create a culture first and then be able to build up over the next over those next few years to be able to land someone like John Quell Jones, who talked with multiple teams and could have gone anywhere she wanted just because. It's kind of just how the WNBA is set up. Players are just going to have leverage over their teams, just being like, I can sit out this summer if I want to. I can go overseas, get a bigger contract over there, and be set for the year. And I feel bad for Connecticut. They kind of got squeezed on this deal. I don't think they Sun fans are necessarily thrilled after Monday. I mean, it's not even just the John Quill Jones deal. It's also... Christina Williams of Girls Talk Sports TV reported that Jasmine Thomas, longtime defensive stalwart, was going out along with the number 10 overall pick in this year's draft for Olivia Nelson Adota, Jasmine Walker, and the rights to Kiana Smith, which to me sounds more like a salary dump on Connecticut's part to try to make a bigger move. But you lose the 2021 MVP and you come out the other end. Honestly, you move up, what, four spots in the draft. You get a hobbled Rebecca Allen and Ty Harris through the number seven pick in the 2020 draft. You're just not going to be able to recoup that value in a trade where, again, you send out John Quell Jones, who was underutilized last year. I don't think you could get equivalent value for John Quill Jones um, in a three-team trade. It would have to be a two-team trade, and you would have to get a lot back. And as much as we've talked about this year's draft, I think with those questions that you rightly brought up this year of, you know, accurately quantifying and qualifying your top tier talents, moving up four spots is minimal, uh, especially when you're in the second half of that of that picking order and you're outside of the lottery. When you're outside of the lottery, still in a 12 team league, it's going to be very difficult, in, except in the absolute best of years, which I think we're coming to. But it's going to be very difficult, except in that one just sparkling year, to get equivalent high-end talent outside of the top four. And with what you told, with what you told me that Rachel Galligan is is reporting, or at least um, you know, rumoring that Brianna Jones is going to be cored by the Sun. It's I would assume that they were going to rebuild, you know, have a year to get Ty Harris to shine, maybe let Brianna Jones walk and then try to get a high draft pick this coming year. But it seems like they're kicking the can and at least calling it retooling. They've already lost their head coach, which I figured was a done deal after the playoffs. If they didn't win the finals, they let Jasmine Thomas go, which could be for, um, I want to get into that later because (laughs) it's so, it's so unique. The reasons that part of the reason that she might've gone to Los Angeles, but then, why core Brianna Jones? You're only getting her for one year, and you would have to, if you wanted the centerpiece of your team, you'd have to sign a long-term deal at least three years. So why core her and then make all these other moves? I don't get this from Connecticut's standpoint at all. I'm curious how much interest they had in someone like Alicia Gray in this trade because they didn't get any backcourt pieces back outside of Ty Harris, who, again, who has some upside, but isn't a isn't someone that's going to necessarily be your starting point guard next year on a title contending team. 
And I thought Connecticut, if they could have kept some of these, I mean, okay, you trade JJ there. You still have Jasmine Thomas, Alyssa Thomas, who they want to build around, I believe Bree Jones and Dewana Bonner for one more year. And I kind of feel like the WNBA is wide open. I know the aces are, they bring back four all-stars and, you know, Derek Ahambi won't be dealing with the same pregnancy issues, but you know what I mean? Like she was like pregnant. She like, it was announced like towards the end of the year there. And I just think that they're, all these teams are vulnerable right now. And to not get Alicia Gray back in this trade, like I'd, ra- I'd rather have Alicia Gray on a one-year deal than this number six pick, quite honestly. And I don't, I just don't get what Connecticut's doing right now. And to core Bree Jones, who I think what she's going to have to be making upwards of like 234K now for this upcoming season. And they can still come to that multi-year deal, but then you just lose multiple years of being able to core somebody else. And this just feels a little desperate almost in the sense that they have a new front office that wants to make a big splash. Probably they want to contend still. And this, even though John Quell wanted to go to New York, it just feels like they could have gotten more. And I, we weren't there in the, in the negotiation room, obviously, or on the zoom call. I, I don't know how they do it, but I'm just surprised they couldn't get more for John Quell Jones. Cause I'd rather play hardball and keep this, keep kicking the can down the road rather than get what they got in return. I get you. I, I feel the same way, but I think we're bringing in Stephanie White. Um, I think was it last year, or the year before that, they brought in Morgan Tuck to be assistant GM. Was that last year? Do you remember? Honestly, I I don't have a definitive answer on that. It's either this year, or last year. Yeah, it just seems like they're looking for for a fresh start, and you've got to do something. I get it to kind of wipe the taste out of your mouth of those playoff defeats, especially when you were a front end contender, dark horse contender, pretty much every season that you had John Quill Jones during her emergence or, or not even, even prior to her being a centerpiece of the team, Connecticut was a front runner at times. And so I think they're trying to turn the page, but I agree with you. I just don't know how much leverage you had, as you said, I don't know how much leverage they yeah. really had in that deal if she wanted out. And I think there was there was a, a thread yesterday that I that I retweeted on my personal page about pretty much the the deal and and all of its moving parts uh by by Key Williams, that's Key Williams with two s's. And you know, per, first time I've I've seen this person had a good explanation but can't go on everything, right? But basically with John Quell wanting out you don't have a lot of leverage to get a lot back from New York. And I think New York has the personnel in place with Jonathan Kolb, with Sandy Brondello, that, you know, if you're stuck in a situation where you get, you keep John Quell after she's averaged well below her career numbers in her MVP caliber playing time, you know, she could hold out if she wanted to, she could have just sat the season because it, because basically what Key was insinuating is that she didn't want to play for Connecticut at that point. And we've seen players just say, hey, I don't want to play for you. Where else were they going to go where they would be able to get an equivalent return? You know, which, which team would be willing to give up a lot 
at this point to get John Quell Jones. Uh, it, it wouldn't have been, you know, for everything that we've been talking about with the sky's moving parts, it wouldn't have been, the, it wouldn't have been Chicago. Las Vegas is just coming off winning the title. Uh, the only thing that you could really do is like a one for one swap with Brianna Stewart and she didn't want to go to Connecticut. You know, they, they were over a barrel. I think as, as, as much as I kind of cracked on the sun, they were really over a barrel in this one. Yeah, no, I mean, it's hard to argue against that. And I just, I'm curious, like, is this really the move though you make on January 15th when free agency, you have two more weeks to operate. And again, we don't know what the situation was like. I'm honestly so convinced that a lot of these conversations are happening before January, quite honestly, and just in the age of where we're at right now, when it comes to tampering, like there's just no way to really be able to monitor it in any way, shape or form. And I just, it just feels like Connecticut could have done a little bit better, being a little bit more patient. And I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about it, but it does. It, I look at this trade and New York is just obviously the winner in all of this. Like, Obviously, you get the 2021 MVP. Of course, you give her someone who is a true facilitator in Sabrina Inescu, someone who was second in the WNBA in assist points created, also assisted on the most three-pointers this season. And that's going to, I mean, John Quell Jones just needs someone to be able to open up opportunities for her in a way that Courtney Williams and Atisha Heideman just really couldn't get the job done there, not to their fault of their own, honestly. It's just... That roster just wasn't put together to be that successful. And I feel like the sky really dropped the semifinals more than the sun actually won it. So they call them a championship team and like they're coming off a finals appearance. It's so hard. Like I feel like every championship team is built differently or looked at differently. I have no idea where they're going. All I know is that New York getting Kayla Thornton out of all this, along with John Quill Jones. And you get rid of Natasha Howard at her salary figure over the next two years, something that could have been a roadblock and getting you other players that might fit your timeline now more than Natasha Howard does right now compared to when she signed. This is something that I really think New York has a chance to contend because I do think they're either going to add Courtney or Brianna Stewart. This is the type of move that not only gets you in contention now, it gets you into a better place to try to convince other stars to come home or come to New York and live that lifestyle. I want to go back to what you said uh, when you mentioned tampering there. Now, <clears throat> I think it's something that's hard to prove. Uh, as you said, just in the technical age, the technological age that we're in, teams can talk to each other and cover their tracks as best they possibly can. But also, when I looked back at Jonathan Culp's history, his previous role in the league office when he was working for the WNBA was both uh, salary cap compliance and CBA compliance, which includes tampering. No way. So, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, so I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the Liberty knew that when they hired him in case they wanted to go for the gusto and basically see what they would be willing to live with. Because I think there is, when you when you make moves, you basically put it to the league and say, what are you gonna do to stop me? It's, it's, like, it's like when a teacher or a parent lays down a rule and you know the kid is testing their, testing their limits and boundaries and says, well, I did this, what's the punishment gonna be? And when this, 
the blue, the only blueprint that we have recently is when the Seattle Storm announced on Twitter that they were re-signing Sue Bird and got knocked for $300,000. $300,000 for Josai is a drop in the bucket. <laughs> and if that's all that's going to happen, then the Liberty could say tomorrow, like, yo, we've entered into negotiations with Brianna Stewart, knowing that the moratorium ends on January 31st. They, they, they're not, they're not willing to go that far. But it's funny because I look at Jalquel Jones as a very nice consolation prize, I think in any other context. That's something like, well, we might, we we are not going to get Brianna Stewart, or we might not get Brianna Stewart, or the odds are low that we're going to get Brianna Stewart. So let's swing a trade to get John Quell Jones. And I said on our last show, you can never have too many distributors. And it's not that JJ's a black hole, but she's not a passer the likes of Brianna Stewart or Sabrina or the players that we talk about on the sky on a regular basis. Oh, I disagree with that, man. I, I think, think so? that oh yeah, man. I think that. She has learned to pass out of the post, especially to the weak side, because of how how much attention she draws there. Like the, when she gets doubled, she's someone that is capable of finding the open player. The problem is that the Connecticut Sun didn't shoot a lot of threes. They didn't have a lot of shot creators that would actually maximize John Quill Jones as a secondary playmaker. Going to New York, she's going to have plenty of those to be able to actually like capitalize on what she brings to the table in that regard. I do get where you're coming from though. I mean, we, I wouldn't say that John Cole Jones is Candace Parker when it comes to facilitating or I don't know. She's not Lauren Jackson, you know? So I get where you're coming from <laughs> in that angle, but I do think JJ has gotten better in that area of her game since coming into the league. I can go with that. And you make a good point. They're nowhere near the caliber of three point shooters, the vault, the number of three point shooters. <laughs> on Connecticut as they will be on New York yeah. if they're able to resign some names. And I saw some, the, the, the CBS sports article that I read uh, penned by Jack Maloney said that New York would have a lot of room underneath the cap to sign Brianna Stewart. I think they were saying $300,000 mm-hmm. with the space with, with Crystal Dangerfield's money off the books. Unless they haven't updated yet, her hoop stats is projecting them at just under $200,000 under the cap. Now, that's what I, that's what I want to know. And I know this is something that you might not be able to find out right now. Mm-hmm. But my question is, even with $300,000, if you sign Brianna Stewart at the max, what do you do with the reserve deals for Han Shu and Maureen Johannes and do you let go of one of those solid three-point shooters and a fairly good defensive player and Sammy Wickham? Because no matter what, as you know, from the conversation that Howard McDowell and Jackie Powell had on the next yesterday, mm-hmm. you can't go in as a top four team and only have nine players on your roster, even with whatever you have with hardship contracts or what have you. You gotta you can have eight great players. But they'd have to be eight great players the size and stature of Las Vegas. I kind of feel though that if <laughs> if what they said were to go down, that they are at the level of Las Vegas. I went on Howard's show today as well, and I just told him he asked me if the like who's the favorite if they land both Courtney and Stewie. And I said, I'm never going to pick a team. They could have five versions of Michael Jordan 
as the starting group until I actually see a team play out and see how it looks on the floor. I'm just we've been we've been bitten so many times by the idea of a theoretical champion. We had it last year. I mean, I didn't think Phoenix or LA, even before everything went down with Brittany and everything went down with Liz Campage, I didn't think either of those teams were going to be championship contenders, quite honestly. But I do think, though, that there are some moves for them to make to be able to get those two players. Before we get to that, though, before we get to that part of the conversation, I just want to touch on Natasha Howard and what Dallas was doing in this situation real fast. Because, again, I would love to talk about the salute part of this because this we, is what we've, we've got to this is a sky this is a skyhook show but, but I, i'm i'm very interested in dallas too i think that if kayla thornton was available in a trade at that 109k figure someone who's a reliable shooter someone who is actually a really effective player in transition can guard multiple positions i don't think getting natasha howard back at that figure when you already have Satu Sabli, you have Awakweer, who, again, is still trying to get consistent minutes. Tierra McCowan is a restricted free agent, even though like she's someone that played really well for Dallas down the stretch. The front court is so clogged outside of the three. And if you're getting Natasha Howard and you want to make that next jump as a franchise, you get someone who is a defensive-minded player who can be a four or a five and... If you're Latricia Trammell, I understand why you'd want a player like Natasha Howard. I just think Kayla Thornton was too much to give up if you weren't also getting draft compensation back in this deal. Mm. And maybe <laughs> the Dallas Wings are tired of picking in the first round after how many picks they've had over the years. But <laughs> I just didn't get the upside of that deal. Like I think Natasha Howard is more of a floor raiser at this point then she is someone that's going to make you a, a champion, with, especially given this Dallas Wings situation. I really think that they bailed out New York a little bit here because, and also just transition into the Courtney part of this, because again, people, I know people want to talk about it. I mean, Howard did report, Howard Megdahl of the next, he reported that there is mutual interest between Courtney Vandersloot and the New York Liberty in joining forces in 2023 and there have been internal discussions within the Liberty's brass about bringing in a player like Courtney Vandersloot to go next to Sabrina Inescu and Howard brought up and you mentioned this earlier is that there's this like an idea that like Courtney would take the veteran minimum to come play for the Liberty that is not going to happen I've I've, <laughs> I've just I just talking with Courtney over the last few years, I just get the sense it's like, no, actually that financial stability is pretty important to me. And just because you can make money overseas, doesn't mean that you're going to just not get paid what you're worth. And Courtney is worth so much more than the veteran minimum. And the thing is that Liberty can make that work. I hate to say it, Chicago Sky fans, but the if you look at the tea leaves about how a move like this could happen, they're pretty scrutable in the sense that those like all they have to do is get rid of either by Nigel Laney's contract or Steph Dolson's contract. And a part of me wonders if you can get rid of Nigel Laney, recoup some value as hard as that would be given how much I one I think that she means a lot to this team. I think she represents New York 
and the attitude that New York has and the grit that she brings to the table every time she's out there on the floor. And obviously the offensive scoring ability that she has, all of that, all of it, she's an all-star for a reason. If you can get Courtney Vandersloot, Sabrina Inescu, John Quill Jones, and Brianna Stewart on the same team and have Kayla Thornton at the three or Maureen Johannes at the three, depending on how you view her. I just can't imagine a world in which you don't make that happen, even if it's at the expense of Benajah Laney. But is that crazy to say? Like, I've been thinking about the, the pairing of Sloot and Sabrina ever since this has come out. And going through the numbers, it's just staggering. And just also just watching them the last couple of years, it's like, holy shit, that actually would be arguably the best backcourt in the WNBA. Yeah, Sabrina's finally come into the form that um, everybody was expecting from her. I'm going to say this very quick once again. I think everybody, the the timeline is is fast-tracked for, for women's professional basketball, and I'm not exactly sure why, but it just seems to be, I'm just recalling all the conversations that I had about, that were had on Press Row about Diamond to Shields, and it seems like everybody expected Sabrina to go off like gangbusters immediately, and there's reasons for that. We'll get into them sometime in the future. That being said, she's come into form. If she um, can stay healthy and on the floor, when you put those three together, the three that people, you know, she's on the team, John Quell's on the team, and Brianna Stewart's been rumored heavily for the last year plus to be coming to the team. That's a pretty ridiculous group to have on the floor in any combination. If you add Courtney Vanderson to that, then it gets even more so because Luke then doesn't have to put up 10 or 11 points a night. She can just pass, hit free throws, shoot a few threes, and have that late-stage career just like still be competitive, still be a quality player, but facilitate, really facilitate, which is her main bag. I think losing Bet Nigel Laney, letting, especially if you just let her go, coming off of a meniscus tear, would feel kind of fucked up to the team that's there right now and the dedicated fan base. And it could have their, this is tough to navigate, but yeah. the, the the colorism aspect of it too, even when you bring in John Quell Jones, you've had Bet Nigel Laney, who has been the Liberty's best or, or second best player for the last two seasons when you haven't had Sabrina Ionescu for a hundred percent of the time. And I don't mean to stutter about it because it, it can't be ignored, but I'm not a sociologist or anything equivalent. So it's hard for me to discuss, you know, but you are swapping this player for this player. And that does mean something to within and without of the fan base. They're going to see that and kind of get an idea of it. The Liberty have made a lot of good moves. Sandy Brundello is an upgrade, is a for sure upgrade over Walt Hopkins. And the players that they both drafted, Michaela Onyenwere, Jocelyn Willoughby when she's healthy, the bringing in Nigelani from Atlanta, these are moves to get them to a place where they can even be in this conversation. Now this is a point where they have to navigate it very very smartly, very intelligently, and they're walking a bit of a tightrope. I don't think at the end of the day they'll care necessarily what color the player's skin is as long as they produce, and I'm sure if they win a championship, then the fan base is going to be placated, but that issue is still relevant. 
And I think it would be a mistake to let Benajah Laney go because I think she still adds a lot to the team that, you know, she there are things that she has that Courtney Vandersloot doesn't have. And that's not to downgrade one player over the other. It's just saying that she is already established within the team. And I think they could still use her to a great degree. This is this is given if they do bring Brianna Stewart in or if they don't. Because they now they have John Quill Jones. So oh sorry, what were you about to say? No, no, I was gonna I I talked a long time, but I was gonna get into the Courtney Vandersloot discussions of it. But go ahead. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you brought that up because that is something I thought about too, because it's something that kind of made me think about when Mark Jackson was ousted from the Warriors and they brought in Steve Kerr, who wasn't even a coach at the time. And I'm like, I remember seeing that being, I was taking this class at the time as well about the sociological aspect of sports and coaching roles. We were on that, or like how co- the disparities in ranks in race and gender at the time. And Mark Jackson, that we had a huge discussion about that and like how, we're like, how are the black players on the team going to react to that? Someone who they like, one, Steph wanted to keep Mark Jackson the fold at the time, not to make this an NBA thing, but just in terms of the dynamics, it's like you were firing a guy that the everyone supported, wanted to keep building with, and you're bringing Steve Kerr. And then you fast forward, and now it feels like that's like the conversation i don't hear that in the like in the discourse anymore because they won championships and i think that's the fucked up part about the whole situation is that you get to this point as a front office you're all you're thinking is like win 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 oh my god we have a chance to add arguably the greatest point guard in WNBA history when again once her career is over that's what she could be at the end of this and you can bring in the one of the most decorated athletes of all time and all it would take would be to for me to move this one piece. This isn't 2K. There's an emotional attachment that <laughs> people have to the players in and out of the organization. And it's not that easy. And obviously, if you were to just look at this in a vacuum, you wouldn't want to give up Benajah Laney. You could give up Steph Dolson in this deal. Like, it's give up Steph Dolson in a deal, and that frees up two max spots for you, and then you figure out the rest. The reason I don't think that's going to be the case is because – Brianna Stewart, former teammate Steph Dolson, good friends with Steph Dolson, probably would want to go to New York, not just to be closer to her family, but also be with Steph potentially. Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley are really close friends with Steph Dolson. They just went to a Bulls game together. Mm-hmm. They celebrated Steph's birthday, I think, at Millennium Park, which is kind of cool. I what? I know, it's crazy. But I do think that like Steph is going to be like, I think one of the main attractions for both Stewie and Sloot in this situation where it's like you can be you can play with someone that one for Sloot you won a championship with. So, I mean, Steph was important in the finals that year that they won. Again, Brianna Stewart and and uh and Steph have also won a championship together in college. You're piecing together a team that has no continuity unless you go back to those previous experiences, and that does bridge the gap a little bit easier for you, I would say. In a situation like this, but I don't have a feel for how Benajah Laney is in the locker room and how important she is. You don't just give up an emotional leader. And Benajah Laney, again, is an all-star. She could bounce back. I could also just see adding one of those two players in Vander Stewie and this team still be a contender without it. You know, I 
I do think what you bring up really matters and also gives you a little bit more flexibility. I, I did find an article when she was injured last year, uh, Michaela Onyenwede, this is a quote from Jack Maloney at CBS Sports. Yeah. Uh, she brings a level of leadership. She sees the floor, the game holds us accountable. Um, and Onyenwede mentioned that twice, we miss her leadership, but we have to step up. Uh, and Sandy Brondello uh, said, we miss a lot when she's not on the floor. And to win in this league, you need your superstars to be great. And I think that that's an important, you know, that's not just backing your player. This is Sandy Brindello, who's won a championship in this league, and coached Diana Taurasi and Brittany Griner. And she referred to Nigel Landy as a superstar. I'm sure that a lot of pundits would argue that point. But she referred to that player as such. And when you have your coach who believes that much in your player, I think that's a player you keep. Yeah. Obviously, I'm I'm – there's got to be some bias because I'm in Chicago on the Chicago Sky podcast for pretty much <laughs> talking about Courtney Vandersloot. But I think that that's a player in Benajelani that you keep. She's she's proven herself. She's had to go through a couple of stops to do so. But that means something. Coming from that Delaware, Southeast Pennsylvania um, atmosphere, it's hard-nosed. It really is. And there's... You know, I don't think that we understand it as much in the Midwest, but that area in that group in South Jersey, Southeast Pennsylvania, Delaware, Northern Delaware, is not as urban urbanized as we're used to in Chicago, but there's still that aspect just because the states are smaller and the, the, the populations are more put like just closer together, but you still got to kind of grind hard to get up. Yeah. from places that are not necessarily on the map. And I think that's true for Benajah Laney coming through high school and college, and then it's shown to be true in her time in the WNBA. So we haven't heard much, I think, in the offseason about her because she's still under contract and she's coming back from this injury. But I think because of the fact that she will have to prove again coming off of this injury with all this talk swirling around, that they would be able to get a lot of production from her if she stays healthy this coming season. And I don't think that's a big, big if. Uh, I, on, on the Courtney Vandersloot side, very yeah. quickly, just Sky have to keep her. Sky, Sky have to find a way to keep her as and don't let New York dangle them by their, by their, their pockets to do so. Go ahead, my fault. Courtney made two big statements to the Sky in the last week, two weeks, whatever it is. One, she is going to play in Turkey overseas and is pretty much saying like, okay, if I don't get a contract in like in the WNBA, I can ride this out and maybe her and Allie spend the summer in Deerfield unbothered by, uh, you know, all the madness that happens in the WNBA season. And I mean, don't just, don't just stay in Deerfield. I know yeah, I mean, bodies, but come on. <laughs> I'm just saying that's where they live right now. The second thing that came out of this, and I, you know, it's so fun. I try to get this out of Howard so bad about, like, just tell me all the information you have after you reported this. Um, didn't get those perks. But the second statement made either by Courtney or her agent is, I am willing to move anywhere to get what I'm valued at, honestly. Like, that's how I viewed this, at least, is like, hey, the Liberty were not on my like on the map for me last offseason. She took two meetings, Minnesota and Seattle. Courtney now is like, is going to what potentially take a meeting in New York, 
like okay she does there's no attachment there really from what least that i know outside of steph and this is the part that i really hope sky fans understand to me when we hear about mutual interest that is such a vague phrase there man mutual interest could be meaning like and a mutual interest and i i really want to go i like i think that if we can make this work i want to go or it could just be like hey, you're one of my options. There's a mutual interest between the two of us that I would come to New York. I'm interested, but I still need to be sold. If there's just this wide gap that, like, again, when you hear mutual interest, it's just, I know Sky fans went crazy yesterday about this whole thing. And I understand we're talking about the face of the franchise, someone that's just done everything for this team over the last 11 years. I just think there's a chance that this is just another negotiating tactic that we saw last offseason. Let's not pretend that the whole report from ESPN last year about Courtney feeling wildly disrespected from the contract offer she got from the sky and then ends up back with the team taking less than $200,000. This could just be a negotiating tactic right now. And I just don't think necessarily that there's a 0% chance Courtney Vandersloot doesn't come back to the Chicago sky. Like, I think there's a chance that she is in black, yellow, and blue next year. But, I mean, what did you take from that, man? I mean, I just feel like this is just so open-ended at this point that people need to just take a step back. Well, I mean, it's that's impossible. That's impossible for fans. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this podcast. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, guys, um, I, react, react, like, retweet. Um, <laughs> um I, I don't know if it's necessarily a negotiating tactic. And even if it is, it's one that is going to work because we've spent all this time talking about how how hard the Liberty are going in order to, to elbow their way into the conversation for championship contention. And the fact that respected sources have brought her name up multiple times, I think, means a great deal. So not only do we have this possibility of the Liberty going after Courtney Vandersloot, we have this possibility of Courtney Vandersloot being willing to go anywhere um, and the Liberty are making themselves a very attractive place to go. So if it is just a negotiating tactic, I don't think she's going to take that same, you know, under the, under the max that she took last year. And the Sky are walking a similar tightrope because they want to remain in championship contention but I think those questions are even more pronounced now. You know, is Candace, we still don't necessarily know what Candace Parker's future is. Um, we don't know if Courtney Vandersuit's willing to stay, which in turn helps determine Allie Quigley's future. And so where do you go? You have this number five pick in the draft. Do you try and, what, what can you do? What, who can you get value for? And the trouble is that you don't have that many people under contract or even as an RFA. So I, I think that Courtney Vandersloot is, is of paramount importance because that particular domino, somebody who you have a, a long history with, helps knock down at least one, possibly two other dominoes that keep you in that title contention picture. That being Candace and Allie. If Courtney were to sign with New York and they decide to keep Anijah Laney, maybe they don't go crazy with trying to make the the money work and they're just like you know what we just get courtney vandersloot into the fold brianna like what happens to brianna stewart does she go back to seattle and they just try to figure this shit out this okay. is the part where i don't quite 
understand it from Stewie's perspective because, like, I think Courtney could potentially be the first domino in all this, actually, right? She d- might not have to wait around for Stewie to sign somewhere in order to, like, maximize her value. Courtney could just go to New York, have all these pieces around her that, again, compliment her. I do think that, especially if Benajelani comes back strong, you can also just stagger these minutes between Sabrina and Courtney, where both of them are not overburdened like they were. I mean, I guess Courtney in 2021 and Sabrina last year. I mean, they just couldn't take her off the floor without the offense collapsing. I'm curious, like, where that leaves Stewie. Because I, you know, I'm not going to bring it up. Uh, the team that you wouldn't want them to go to. I want oh. Stewie to go to. But, you know, if we've if talked about Azare and Brianna Jones in Minnesota, like, in just terms of a basketball fit, I just don't really get – I don't look around the rest of the league and I don't really see what Stewie would be looking at and being like, you know what, if I go to this team, I'm in the same position I was – like I'll be in the same position I was last year, pushing the aces to the brink, you know, putting myself in a situation where I can win a championship. Like what happens to Brianna Stewart if Courtney just signs with New York? Like do you think like she just finds a way to make it work to, in New York and like maybe takes less money like – to me, this it's just—it's <laughs> so intriguing. You, she would be closer to um, her spouse's home in Spain, just by virtue of the distance. When you're New York to Spain, you're you're closer to where your spouse is, is from, and and all that. You have an easier time getting overseas, playing for a team in Europe. So sure, there's that aspect to it, and she's from. Um, state, I believe, born in the city and then moved uh, upstate. So yeah, I think there's some possibility to that. There's there's some way to make it just go, knowing that you have this level of outside money with endorsements and sponsorships. But I think it would be hard for New York to navigate that situation and they would have to deal with players who I think would be following the late model I was I was almost going to say late stage capitalism (laughs) (laughs) Um, what we've seen superstars do recently is sign shorter term deals um, in basketball for high money for high real higher amounts of money and John Paul Jones is on the last year of her deal um, going to this, going to this Liberty team. She's the Liberty have no guaranteed deals after this. It's literally all off the books outside of these two options with Michaela Onyanwere and Dee Dee Richards. And the and the thing is, I still don't know exactly where they find the money to get all of these deals done. You get John Quill Jones; she's on contract. Sure. You get Brianna Stewart; you pay her the max or just underneath. Sure. Then where do you find the money to? Hey, Courtney Vanderson, do you trade off the salary of D.D. Richards? Do you lose Michaela Nguere? I'm going to be shaking my head already saying no, because that's a good piece to have off the bench. I don't think there, there are issues that you need, because not a, just because Las Vegas did this, running seven deep, doesn't mean every single team can do it. And I hope the teams aren't looking at that as a blueprint because it seems like we're getting into that territory just talking about the possibilities for New York next year. And it's still a mistake to build a team from scratch 
and then go all in when the pieces are available. And you would think that the size would know this considering the other team that they own and how badly that's gone for them. And I know I'm yeah. raising my voice and I know this isn't that podcast, but I'm still annoyed. And I think a lot of Nets fans are at what they were building with the team that they had and the coach that they had and how quickly they pivoted just because there was an availability and how, and how lukewarm at best it's been for them. So totally right. Yeah. There's continuity that can be gained that you just, that's currency that you don't just give away because you have something, the, the grass looks greener across the fence. So I, I just don't know how the money works for all this. And going back to Brianna Stewart, Minnesota would be a fine destination for it. They, they have to fill out their roster for sure. They have four unrestricted free agents and, and um, Bridget Carlton is an RFA on their, their transcript right now. But is Brianna Stewart an upgrade over Damaris Dantas? Yep. Is, Dem- is Brianna Stewart an upgrade over Damaris Dantas and Rachel Bannon? Yes. And you can still sign one of those players for much less than you have um, on your salary cap right now. So I think that would actually really work out for Minnesota. And would I be pissed at Cheryl Reeve for it? Yes, because somehow she somehow keeps coming out on top of these things. Not only do they have a high pick in the draft, they would be able to get Brianna Stewart. So that that destination would work. But I, I just, everybody's been talking about this Brianna Stewart to New York thing so much for so long. It's getting to the point now where it's almost like, a meme of itself and that has me waiting for it to not happen so everybody can have the collective egg on their face but if it doesn't happen (laughs) then the impetus for them to get courtney vanderson would be even higher uh yeah just just last thing seattle I, i don't i think they went in with all the chips last year yeah and it didn't quite work out. And so now they're going to have to really rebuild. I think that Noel Quinn can do it for sure. And I'm excited to see what they put together. But I don't think she stays in Seattle, just given what they've got on the roster currently. Because that's a lot to build back, especially if Gabby Williams just decides to say, fuck it and go to France. You know what I think is the most likely outcome compared to like out of Stewie signing with Minnesota or I don't know, go to some random team like Atlanta. What if she just doesn't play in the WNBA next year? I think that there's a higher chance of that than, again, seeing her go to Minnesota because Stewie has battled these lower body injuries and still plays basketball year-round. People keep talking about, like, oh, well, she can just sign New York and then she'll be closer to her family. You know how else she could just be closer to her family? By not being attached to a WNBA franchise. You could just take it off. Like you said, she has all these endorsement deals and she markets herself so well. Like that tweet that she had, what was just emojis, was fucking hilarious and had everybody going fucking nuts. And (laughs) honestly, if you don't feel like, one, you can win a championship in this current landscape and you're already kind of ailing, again, the numbers say that Brianna Stewart hasn't recovered fully from where she was before she's still an all world player ranks in the 99.9 percentile in all like as a basketball player in this league she's arguably the best player i mean i i would say asia wilson but stewie there's it's one a one b and 
quite honestly, I would totally understand if she just looked around being like, okay, the aces are stacked. They're in a position where they can make, make one more move and really put themselves over the end and really try to go after that dynasty. Okay. I look at New York, maybe they can't make it work financially. They, they don't want to give up by Nigel Laney or I don't know. They just, again, can't make it work financially to get the super max and you would have to compromise your own value in order to make it work financially. And then, not again, not be chartered for four months. It's a tough situation. It's tough playing the W that way. There's no real other options out there. I don't want to be- go to Minnesota for a few months. I don't want to have to like station myself there if, if I'm not 100% in on it. Why not just take the summer off and get ready for the next like Euro season or just get stronger? Get, I don't know, spend time with your family, invaluable time with your family. To me, that makes a lot more sense than her going to, I mean, again, Minnesota is a fun idea, but again, we're, we're not playing 2K here. We're not. <laughs> I don't, I no. just don't see this like a situation where she contends with a lot of other teams. She's not going to the sky, you know, like no. it's just, I could just see her taking this summer off. I could. You know, what's interesting I pulled up, I, I, I went to, back to look and see when um, Brianna and Marta Sharke got married. And that was back 2021, which is almost, it's almost going to be two years since they've gotten married. But there was the Olympics that year, right after she proposed. So Brianna Stewart, she proposed. Um, they got married. And then mm-hmm. Brianna went to Japan for the Olympics. And then just after they got back, they had their first baby. So Given that, and then last year, you know, how much time have they spent with with this baby? Are they talking about having another baby? You know, just just questions that newly married couples face. And look at me, single cis man, single cis black man, not on the same footing, not in the same sphere, for sure, not thinking about the same questions. So I'm looking at this from an outside perspective, things that I picked up. But, you know, is it something that they're looking at Well, we want to spend more time, at least have some time off and reset? Because I think that's a question that everybody's faced, especially after the events of 2020. Yeah. So I think to that point, she could just be thinking about, hey, let's take the year off. I'm going to, you know, we're going to spend time at home. We're going to talk over these questions that we might have. Maybe we'll you're at a point where you could just travel. This article I found on brides.com, funny enough, was kind of an, it was kind of a advertisement for Ally Bank and a service that they have, but it was talking about their financial questions and how they really got together on money habits. And it said something that I didn't expect to see between the two of them, Brianna Stewart is the quote splurger. So it could be something where they say, hey, let's get all this stuff for Ruby. Let's figure out where we want to put her in school. And then let's travel the world without having to think about dribbling a basketball in a serious way. So sure, I, I see that as a possibility. She could just she could just say that she wasn't going to play. And I don't want to disrespect Stewie as an athlete either in the sense that you can't turn off being competitive. You can't. When you're the best at what you do, flicking the off switch. Ah, man, I don't know. That I mean, that's just a really hard thing to do, obviously. And I understand why she want to keep going. It wouldn't surprise me either. Hey, if you can play 11 and a half months of basketball out of the year and excel at it like she does, 
fuck, I would do the same thing probably. But <laughs> I just think that she could take the long view with this. We've seen Diana Taurasi do this before. Sue Bird has done it before as well, just taking that one year or that one summer off. I mean, that's what's called what it is. It's just taking the summer off. I don't think it's that crazy of an idea, given how also I know how much Stewie cares about player rights and pushing back on this prioritization role a little bit and have say a little bit of a fuck you to the WNBA being like, you know what? Fine. If you're going to make it harder for not just Americans who want to play overseas, but also the people, all the relationships she's made overseas. Now you're stopping people from being able to get their money just because you want to keep players at home. I, I understand how tough it is for the WNBA or trying to grow and you're thinking about the next 50 years, not just the next five within implementing a rule like this, but it would not surprise me. Brianna Stewart were to just be like, no, I'm I'm not going to be around for 2023. If you're going to do shit like this, they agreed to it in the CBA. I know that there's going to be people in the league that would probably object to some parts of it, but like, I just think it's something to keep, keep in mind as we look, move forward in free agency, because it might not also have anything to do with Courtney and money. It could literally just be a decision she ends up making. She's also now playing in Turkey as well. So we'll see what happens there. But Chris, do you want to wrap up? Or actually, what is there anything else you want to talk about in that sense? Or do you want to talk about this awesome news coming from the Chicago sky? No, I was going to say, I was going to ask you the same question. So since we're on the same page, let's move forward with something a bit lighter. (laughs) Actually, I'm going to backtrack for the old heads and do something special. And now for something completely different. (laughs) The Chicago Sky and Minnesota Lynx, this coming preseason, will be playing the first WNBA game in Canada. In fact, this is the third time that the WNBA is playing a game outside of the United States, which, which is kind of amazing to me. They played a preseason game in Mexico in 2004 and one in Great Britain in 2011. And so this is the third time that the W will be outside of the United States and they'll, the Sky and Lynx will be playing in Toronto on May 13th of this year. First of all, the amount of Sky fans that I know um, in Canada is thrilled about this. Shout out to my people out in Alberta who came <laughs> to Chicago for a Sky game, hung out with me and my partner in Logan Square. Um, Man, I mean, that was fun for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, That was just fun in itself. But the the idea of going to, on a vacation to the Camp Day Sky game and just getting insanely tipsy is awesome. (laughs) That's just a great idea that I think a lot more, there will be a lot more people in favor of Camp Day if they saw it that way, I'm very sure. But I think there's just a lot of Sky fans, and I know there's got to be a lot of Minnesota Lynx fans north of the border who are going to be really insanely happy about this. But the big question, where does this put the league in terms of expansion? Is this a tease, you know, as as we've seen teases, or is this the real first step towards expansion? So when I was on that press conference with, Kathy yesterday she mentioned that Toronto is on the narrowed list of cities that the WNBA is considering for expanding at some time in the future so for this to be happening in Toronto where basketball has been very successful people have accepted the Raptors obviously because 
they won a championship just a few years ago, but also women's basketball is insanely popular in Canada. And one thing Kathy also mentioned, and I know Canada is a big country, but she did say there's an estimated like 5 million WNBA fans in Canada. That's what she was told. And again, it's not like everyone can just come together and like go to every single Toronto WNBA game because again, Canada is enormous, but I do think there's a lot of potential with this. And one of the things that the league is going to be monitoring throughout this entire, like this, it's not even just like the one preseason game. They're going to try to have events around the preseason game, like leading up to it as well. And they're going to just track fan engagement. They're going to see how the players react to it as well, just to make sure their experience with the whole thing is great. And obviously viewership, because this is going to be broadcasted live on two Canadian networks. And crazy enough, I'm surprised I didn't see more people being excited about this too. WNBA League Pass is going to broadcast a preseason game. I don't think that was available last year or the year before that. I think that's a pretty big deal for WNBA fans to actually see what their team looks like before the regular season starts. So, and but in terms of expansion, Chris, I do think Toronto would be a cool place. I kind of wonder how much it makes sense with international travel at this point, if they're not being chartered for them to move to have a team in, in Canada or just anywhere else, even like Mexico City, like you'd said, like when they played that game in 2004. I don't know the complications when it comes to that necessarily, but what I mean, what do you think? Do you, would you would would Toronto be a prime place for a WNBA team to reside? You know, it's tough because uh, I saw one. I saw a a map a while back, basically showcasing the Greater Toronto area and just outside, basically south uh, eastern Ontario. And saying that, you know, a very, very high, I can't remember the exact number, but a very high percentage of the, of the Canadian population resided in that area. And it was very relatively small. So it's tough to say that you put a team out west in one of the prairie provinces, but there's a lot of engagement out there that you don't want to miss. That's why the, the NBA back in the day put the Grizzlies in Vancouver to start. And even though they eventually moved them, they had a bit of early success with that team. Uh, I know this, I'm not going to mention names. This isn't that podcast, but I think that they, that major league soccer has a team in Vancouver. And I think it's easier to go that way than to putting a team in Mexico. I'm not sure of the exact reason, but MLS had a team in, in Mexico, uh, Chivas that didn't really work out. Um, it was Chivas USA, which was trying to build off of the popularity of the Guadalajara team that's in La Liga, Mexico, and it just didn't really work out. So I think there's difficulty in saying Canada's got to be the, I think Canada's the first option outside of a, of a place that, the, that people have been clamoring for. However, I would say that Oakland would be a better fit over anything north of the border that's no disrespect again to my people <laughs> i think that oakland has lost a lot over the past 10 years and giving them a professional sports franchise would be really 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 good and and i think it would work 
you still have Oracle Arena. It's one of the older arenas that are out, but I think that it's it's you can still play basketball there. And you would get those people who are in Northern California who are not either who are Warriors fans, you'd get some Stanford fans in that area, and you'd get some Sacramento fans who are kind of kings either with the kings or kings adjacent. I think that would be a solid area. And you would still pick up the people in um, Oregon who don't have a professional sports franchise there other than the Blazers um, and don't have a professional women's sports franchise other than the Portland Thorns in the NWSL. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to be had in Oakland because when you get out West and you have a lot of wide over wider, wider open spaces in States that don't have professional sports, they're more likely to flock towards the nearest possible option. And as many women sports fans as we talk about in Canada, I think there's a lot of them in the Western United States that are underserved uh, since the Monarchs did, or, or since the Monarchs removed from Sacramento, I should say. I would love for Oakland to have a team. And honestly, we should try to have Rebecca Kaplan on to talk about this. She's like the mayor of Oakland. I think she would be a really, she wants a WNBA team there. I don't know what the complications are when it comes to something like that. All I know is that it is a crime that the fucking Warriors moved to San Francisco after they started to make a ton of money and that that went to this bigger arena after all the history in Oracle Arena that just, I think about, anytime I go to Seattle and I love Seattle, I, I there's the the old Sonics arena that I can't think of off the top of my head. Uh, I just, it's uh, Climate Pledge. They yeah. they moved back to yeah, which is which is great, which is a great place. Let's sorry, but <laughs> just, get too far into it. I just think about how important having that history is for a franchise of just like I don't know. I, I personally like I wouldn't have moved Ebbets Field, you know, or like in, in the Dodgers. <laughs> I wouldn't honestly even with Soldier Field. As much as it's an inconvenience to have downtown. To move to Arlington Heights almost feels wrong too, even though it makes all the logistical sense in the world. There's just these emotional attachments that we have. And to give Oracle Arena after it was just abandoned, just having the Warriors move from Oakland with just such like the best fan base too. It's just lost so much over the last few years from a sports team's perspective. And moving it over to San Francisco, which again, great city and everything. It just felt so wrong and it just seems like a bunch of sick fucks from silicon valley didn't want to travel over the goddamn bridge to see their basketball team uh just let's go you know and i would just love to have oracle arena packed again because i know that there would be people would flock to see a WNBA team there man that's just a fun atmosphere and i would love to see that recaptured in the WNBA. I agree with with everything that you're saying about about the Warriors moving, um, and we haven't even. And that is not to talk about the Raiders and the prospective uh, move of the of the Oakland Athletics, but I think that that's not on the city. And I think that you that if you have the chance, you put a team there. And I know this is springing from a discussion about a preseason game in Canada. But I think, <laughs> I think you have that that arena that's there and you have a fan base that's ready and a city leadership that never wanted any of those teams to leave, but just wouldn't let themselves be hung out to dry by the ownership groups in terms of being strong armed into building a new stadium. 
that stadium, you can play basketball in that stadium. You can fill that stadium with fans and you can have a good fucking time doing it. So I would say that would be my first choice. My second choice, um, knowing that uh, what my my friend Lindsay and, and her partner Naveen have told me about teams in and around their area. Uh, Calgary just got a professional basketball team. Um, they moved from Guelph, Ontario. So there is you have that wide fan base. There's millions of people in the greater Toronto area. It's, it's much more, it's got a Chicagoland type feel if you extend that to Milwaukee and like the Southern part of like Southwest Michigan and, and Indiana, mm. that's kind of uh, Ontario and, and GTA. So you could put another professional sports team there. No problem. I just think, you have a hole in Western Canada for uh, professional sports and professional women's sports, which is what we're talking about. And the one thing that they did tell me that I forgot and that Lindsay mentioned when this news broke, it's expensive to fly across Canada. Yeah. Like there, uh, this is a, this is an anecdote. I met some blue Jays fans at a Sox game that were from Thunder Bay and it was closer for them and easier for them to fly from there to Chicago than to fly to Toronto just because of the distance and the and the cost. So if you put a team out west, you're going to get a lot of people who might be easier served saying, well, fuck it, we'll drive to Calgary or we'll fly to Calgary. And there's a market there. I, there really is a market there. I, it's weird. It's It's difficult. A lot of the NBA players and WNBA players that you're seeing are coming from Ontario. Um, and there's a there's a lot of them, you know, Natalie Chandler, Kia Nurse and her sister Sarah in women's hockey, um, all these Wiggins, Scotty Barnes. I know those are players from Ontario. And I know Barton, that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that you would get a lot more younger players who are like they already have the WNBA. Having a team closer to home would be incredible for them. But I think there's something to be said for being able to a team in Calgary or Winnipeg or, or Vancouver again and oh, seeing I'm, how it goes. Love Vancouver. Vancouver is such yeah. a dope place. I, I think I think there's I think there's a way that that works, but Oakland would still be my first choice. And that being said, um Skyhook Caravan going to Toronto. <laughs> we're gonna get a we're gonna get a bunch of rental cars and we're gonna drive to Toronto that weekend. So <laughs> we're gonna fly no no no. we're gonna like um uh, dude those tickets are expensive oh we're not oh we're not not on a plane chris you and i we're going <laughs> to sp- spread our wings and carry skytown all the way to toronto because that's gay i'm honest i got oh, i'm gonna try to make that work somehow i've got no money i've got negative dollars right now but i am god damn it i i want to be so fun <laughs> to do a podcast in fucking toronto um Chris, shockingly enough, we went long. Um, I think like that's got to be our catchphrase for now. Like the Skyhook podcast. Surprisingly enough, we went long. Um, <laughs> this one was worth it. Absolutely, think... made so much great shit. I mean, dude, how big is it that we're having these discussions on January eighteenth in the WNBA? Man, this wasn't happening four, five, ten years ago. You know, like fuck, this is so great. This is so great. I'm so happy. It's so true. And I think the fact that we got that much information out talking about a preseason game that 
that occurs in just over just under four months is really cool too. So if you want to send James and us to Toronto for the preseason game, get us the Venmo link. You'll see it on the YouTube video. Um, send your inquiries about just sugar babying us to the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. And as always, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, subscribe to the podcast on Twitter and Instagram, both at the skyhook pod. Yes, James, I said it. I said sugar baby us. We're not rich. We're not <laughs> rich. And we know that some of y'all out there are making good money at your good jobs and just listening to this while cooking on your island ranges in your penthouse apartments. So please. <laughs> please I just want to buy toppings to... on my pizza whenever I order out, Chris. <laughs> you know the last time I had fucking toppings on a fucking pizza? God damn it. Avocado on a chicken sandwich? You think I don't want to add that extra $3 to the order? Yeah. Won't. Can't afford it. Um, oh my God. <laughs> this, this is just classic, classic us ending it on the most bizarre note. But guess what? <laughs> it wouldn't be the Skyhook podcast without a little silliness at the end. But thank you all for listening. And until next time, stay strong, Sky fans. Mm-hmm.